Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from EverAg Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. We're excited to have you along. If you enjoy the show, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. All right, first things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 1.30 p.m. Central Time, Wednesday, August 16. Today, block cheddar was at 2.02 per pound, up 5 cents from last week. Barrels are sitting at $1.84 per pound, up 3 cents. Butter is at 2.75 per pound, up 9 cents. Record volume day today, 49 lots traded. And lastly, in the dairy complex, non-fat dry milk is trading at $1.09 per pound, down 4 cents on the week. Turning to grains, nearby corn is at 4.71 per bushel, down 2% on the week, while soybeans are near 13.39, down 6%. Let's turn to our panel of top-tier EverAg teammates. We're excited today to have an all-Wisconsin episode. First, joining us from the Madison area, Katie Burgess, who works with producer and commercial accounts. Second and third, from Platteville, Matt Trannell, who helps with producer risk management, and Britt O'Connell, director of our Grain Foundations program. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us today, Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, Phil. As is the case every week, we'll start with what's the buzz? Talk about what's making the most noise in the areas we cover. Katie Burgess, you go first today. Yeah, today's been an exciting one. As you mentioned, Phil, we saw a record high daily trading volume of butter. That's the highest we've seen since everyday trading began back in 2006. And for the commercial customers I work with, it's bringing back nightmares of last year with butter futures trading limit up and the spot market making its way to 275. On the flip side of the class four complex though, the non-fat market is completely the opposite story. We have spot prices within a quarter cent of year-to-date lows and participants in that market are watching GDT really closely. New Zealand has increased the volumes for sale at GDT And even though customers like China or the Middle East bought a lot of product this year, it wasn't enough to support prices with that auction index falling to the lowest level since 2020. But there's been a lot of action on the cheese side too. Matt, what have you seen there? Yeah, so there's been very exciting uh, trade taking place in the spot cheese market as of late. Uh, We actually crossed the $2 a pound threshold here yesterday on block cheese. And ultimately, just 45 days ago, we were trading $1.31. So it has been one heck of a move. It has supported uh, class three milk prices. We, we were looking at a $13 handle not long ago, 45 days ago. And, and now we're looking at $18 prices. So the producer sentiment is a lot uh, better here as we speak. Today, we finished with uh, the block barrel average closer to $1.92 and a half. And it really shows you how quickly markets can change due to culling, exports, weather, you name it. So uh, last time that we had seen $2 a pound block cheese was back on March 28th of 2023. So the producers are uh, a little more excited than where we were not too long ago. How about you, Britt? What's the buzz in your world? On the grain side of things, we've seen a lot of softness here as of late, both in the corn, soybean, and soybean meal complex. 
And uh, a lot of that really has to do with this battle that's happening in the marketplace between poor demand and question marks around the production side. The continual battle between supply and demand is playing out in the grain markets right now with question marks still around what production is going to be and lackluster demand on the corn front really putting pressure on that complex today. Are dairy producers looking at this rally as an opportunity in cheese? Is it a little too scary to touch right now? Too good to be true? Uh, What's the reaction we're seeing out in the country? Yeah, so from my end of the table, I see it and a lot of my dairies are seeing it as a little bit of an opportunity. It's not one that they're willing to throw down on everything into, but at the same time, we are looking at it as an, as an opportunity. The, the board has, has kind of shown in, in, in the past that we've been very unwilling to uh, really get too much beyond $2 a pound. And class three prices have been unwilling to go t- too much beyond $18.50 a hundredweight at, at present moment. And so we're definitely adding some sales or coverage into this, this market rally. We're kind of close back to that 1850 number, Katie, is kind of close back to profitability, right? It definitely feels a lot better with uh, corn where it's come at where it's come down to sub $5. So I think especially this market rally has given folks an opportunity to look out to 2024 with the idea that hopefully here when they put up corn silage, their cost of production will be down a little bit. And so you're right, Phil, we're looking at numbers that even though on paper are lower than they were for this year, they just feel a whole lot better from a profitability standpoint. And commercials don't really seem all that eager to jump in the mix, right? Not right now. I think it's a, we've seen the market go up. We know there's still cheese in the warehouses. And so as we like to say in the spot cheese market, it's all about fresh cheese in Chicago. And so at this point in time, the commercial buy side customers I work with are mostly sitting on the sidelines and hoping this whole situation gets figured out before they we get too much further down the line. Another big question out there is how much of what we're seeing is seasonal versus structural. And I think we're going to talk about the seasonal a little bit today as our center of the plate segment. Back to school time. Now, here in Wisconsin, certain laws prevent schools from opening much before Labor Day, if at all. But elsewhere in the country, we have schools opening, certainly in the south, and that's sort of rolling northward. And with schools opening comes sort of a new season uh, for our dairy and grain markets. Uh, First of all, let's just talk about fluid milk sales. Um, School milk accounts for somewhere around eight or nine percent of overall fluid milk use. It's been a somewhat reliable customer over the years. And if you look at the data, we sell 76% of the fluid milk in in this country between September and May. So 76% of the milk goes down uh, or moves in 67% of the calendar time. So definitely uh, we see milk pipeline filling uh, happen at this time of the year. And what's the, what, what, how does that factor into the marketplace? And we can talk about other seasonal factors as well. Yeah, it's definitely the time of year where everyone's gearing up to go back to school. But from a milk supply perspective at the farm, it's still the heat of summertime. It's supposed to be really hot this week in California, in the Pacific Northwest. And so right now, it's just kind of this perfect storm um, out in the supply market where we've got demand starting to pick up seasonally and the holidays aren't too far behind us. And yet milk supply at the farm level is still struggling a little bit due to the heat. And so we really saw that play out last week in the spot milk data. USDA reported the average Midwest spot milk price at $1 over class. That's the highest we've seen since 2020. So definitely a sign that there's less 
milk out there, whether it's because there's a little less off the farm or because there's more going into the school pipeline. Yeah, that uh, that spot milk price that was a you know about an eight dollar move in over the course of two or three weeks. I mean, I you know we hadn't seen many weeks as low as minus seven, minus eight like we had been seeing. I don't know that we've ever seen a eight or nine dollar, seven, eight, nine dollar run up in just three weeks' time, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty remarkable. One of the other things we see, uh, you know, change as fall comes and schools start is is um, we start seeing pizza sales pick up. What other things in the demand side, Matt? Are we do we usually talk about when it comes to school starting? Yeah. So ultimately when, when school starts, obviously we see a lot more uh, dairy products going into the schools, nonetheless, uh, cheese uh, and, and various other products, cottage cheese, uh, anything to that, that extent. Uh, fluid is obviously a big one too. I enjoy myself uh, a good carton of uh, chocolate milk as much as anybody else did when I was a kid. But ultimately football season is right around the corner. And uh, with that comes a lot of different uh, parties on Saturdays and Sundays where you just you go out and you buy some local pizza from Pizza Hut or, or any Domino's or any any of those those chains and bring it inside and have some cheese curds maybe along with it and and drink a few beers with your buddies. So ultimately, we're going to see a lot of a lot of cheese uh, change hands here uh, and, and start to really be bid up just based upon the, uh, the football season coming around. I mean, you're familiar with the pizza scene in Platteville and the University of Platteville's right there. When the kids go back to college, I'm guessing pizza sales start ticking higher, right? Pizza sales definitely go higher uh, during the fall and into the winter. Yeah, that's that's definitely that's definitely the piece of our business that uh, that kind of carries it through the the winter months is is the pizza sales, without a doubt. And Britt, believe it or not, school time also is kind of harvest time, or at least we start thinking about harvest. It's you know the combines might be rolling somewhere in the southern U.S. right now. Talk about how that process unfolds and what we're looking for these days. Yeah, so we're a little less heavily influenced by the start of the school year, although we have seen the USDA decreased food usage on corn uh, for old crop. And uh, we could see a little bit of a bump here as we go back to school. But again, not a huge player for us. But certainly as harvest time approaches seasonally, we do tend to see prices find a bit of a slump or a bottom here. And I think that's what this corn market is looking for right now. It feels a little bit like we're wearing out a subject here, but a lot of questions still remain about what kind of yields are going to be in the field. And that's going to have a big influence on this market going forward. So as we uh, get ready to start seeing choppers, corn silage being harvested across the country, I think it'll be really interesting to see what some of that anecdotal evidence points towards here. You know, there was an interesting chart in this week's GMA Feed Foundation's newsletter on seasonality, right? And I, I thought it was, you know, it showed that we're kind of in the time window where we make historical lows for December corn, which is sort of funny. It's like the, the anticipation of actual harvest rather than the actual harvest where we make the lows. Is this typically a decent buying opportunity for corn end users? Very much so. I always, uh, I always call it capitulation season. It's uh, when the most optimistic, uh, most bullish of producers look at the bins, realize, oh, shoot, they're still full. And I've got another corn crop in the field. I've got to harvest in a, you know, in, in a few weeks and, and put somewhere. And so what you do is you see kind of this flooding of the market, if you will, of, of old crop corn. And a lot of end users 
just feeling not necessarily a sense of urgency, knowing that a new crop's coming right around the corner. So yeah, it, it's a great opportunity. We've been encouraging dairymen, feedlots, anybody who's an, a, a buyer of corn or soybean meal to start stepping into this market in a in a pretty decent fashion. We, we think this is a really nice opportunity in front of us. And while it's impossible and, and a bit of a fool's errand to pick bottoms, historically, this is a great opportunity and one of the best prices that we've been able to own in the last three years. Katie, on the milk side of things, we also start to turn the corner a little bit as well, right? I mean, it's, you know, I always say, hey, look, forgive me for not jumping out of my chair when somebody tells me that it's hot in California in August, because just about every summer it's hot in California in August. But soon August heat turns to cooler conditions. Does that matter from a milk production perspective? It definitely does from, we'll start to see one, just that risk premium in the market that, you know, once you get about a month from now, the middle of September, the risk that it's going to be too hot anywhere pretty much goes away. So one, people just aren't as edgy and perhaps takes that level of volatility out of the prices. And then two, seasonally milk production bottoms in October and we'll start to move up from there. So all in all, we'll be looking at more milk here ahead. And most notably, the risk that we run out of milk in any particular spot really goes down in a few weeks. And Matt, that's where things kind of get interesting here, right? Because one of the struggles I think we're having right now is is teasing out what's seasonal in terms of this milk production tightness versus what's structural? Because we've seen farm exits, we've seen a lot of culling activity, high beef prices encouraging producers to cull additional cows. What's your sense of things structurally here versus seasonally? Yeah, so I think we're we're definitely seeing some some cows leave based upon uh, structural, but uh, I always kind of go back to the milk price versus cow numbers chart that we've been looking at for my entire career. And, and that is generally speaking, after tight margins are seen, it generally takes about six to nine months to see a reactionary move of a structural change in the actual milk production data. And so from where I sit, most of it today is seasonal. It seems like a lot of dairies are still sitting on okay ground. However, I think once you get into the 2024 months, that's really where you start to maybe see some of that. Those cows leave at a little more of a rapid pace per se. So most of the guys that I talk to right now, they seem to be very comfortable with where they're at. They'd obviously like to be seeing a little better margin than maybe what they have at the moment. But Either way, they don't uh, necessarily seem to be culling aggressively beyond what they normally would. And and quite frankly, in the upper Midwest, it seems like there's still a lot of dairies that are in uh, expansion mode. Brett, when will we have a good sense for whether USDA's yield numbers are in the ballpark, way off? I mean, when do we start getting real good reports? I mean, better than just sort of the random ears of corn people are holding up on Twitter picks. You know, when do we start getting a good sense for what's really out there in terms of yield and harvest? So you're going to start seeing some of the southern parts of the Corn Belt harvesting in the last half of September. So about a month from now, we're going to start seeing uh, yields pop up across parts of the southern Corn Belt. Uh, by the time we get into mid-October, you've pretty much got everybody across the Corn Belt rolling. And that's when we're going to really get a good sense. I think what's going to be difficult this year is the variability that seems to be out there. Not only did we have variability in emergence, variability in pollination, but I think yield variability is going to be really high within fields, from field to field, from farm to farm, county to county, state to state. I think part of it's due to soil type this year. Uh, good soils are really going to shine where your mediocre soils probably are didn't stand the test of the early drought as well. It's going to be varietal specific. And it's also going to be based upon where these little pop-up showers came and didn't. This early season weather pattern 
really could be defined by a lot of small pop-up showers. We didn't see any of those big fronts come through that that really gave a good soaking rain to a big part of the country. So if you happen to benefit from one of those early rains, I think you're going to see some of that in the yield as well. But it could take us a while to flesh out yield because of the high uh, degree of variability we believe is out there. Yeah, I mean, we've seen kind of a remarkable comeback in corn condition over the past three to four weeks, but we still don't know if that matters, right? In terms of, you know, are we actually, you know, is is the recovery, if you will, or stopping of loss of yield correspondent to those better numbers? I don't think we have a good way to know. Yeah, it it passes the 55 mile an hour test pretty well now compared to how it did just uh, six, six weeks ago. But I think there are still a lot of question marks and folks out here are, are wondering yet what yield will be, how good are these new hybrids and how well did they stand up to the, to the test of that drought? That's it for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, Katie, Matt, and Britt. Thanks to the EverAg Insights team for production support. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. I invite you to check out our new online portal at insights.ever.ag. There, you can find all of our publications and all of our shows like this one or Brit's hit podcast, From the Furrow. If you're interested, contact us at insights at ever.ag. At EverAg, we partner with every corner of the agriculture industry, from dairy to livestock, crops, and agribusiness, to deliver intelligent supply chain and risk management solutions. We are EverAg, everything agriculture. Learn more at www.ever.ag everything.